Dr. Jim Garlow. He's the founder. He's the CEO of Wellversed Inc. He's a long-term friend. He was the long-term pastor at Skyline Church in San Diego. He's written 21 books. He has a lot to share. He understands things from a biblical perspective, but he also is plugged in with the top leaders around the world. He's a great guy to know. I'm so proud to call him my friend. Welcome, Jim Garlow, to the Economic War Room. Thank you. Honor to be on with you, my friend. Dr. Garlow, you have seen a lot in your time, both as a pastor and as a world leader. I mean, tell us, where, where do you think America is right now today? Well, I, I was, several years ago, had a friend of mine who was the top consultant to American churches. And uh, we connected for just a brief few minutes when he came into town one day. And I said, what, what's the state of the American church? Uh, that's obviously a tighter question than what you ask. What's the state? I said, what's the state of the American church? And without flinching, this top known consultant said to me, bad, very bad. Mm. I said, well, that's not what I wanted to hear. Uh, what's the state of America? Well, it depends upon the state of the church to a large extent. And the state of the church is a challenge. Here's the numbers from Barna, just the raw numbers to give us perspective on kind of where we are. There's 364,000 places of worship in America, according to Barna. How many? 364,000? Places of worship. Okay. Now, you subtract out those that are Jewish and, and Muslim and Hindu and Buddhist and Sikh, etc. Now we're down to 344,000. We've subtracted out about 20,000. Now, since I'm a Protestant, I know that world better than I do the Catholic world. So allow me just to focus on Protestants. So I'm going to put aside right now the Catholic churches. That's another 20,000. So now we're down to 324,000. Of those, again, according to George Barna, what percentage of those are biblical, distinctly biblical? Uh, the answer is 28%. I mean, 72% are not. They have no fierce commitment to Scripture at all. So that leaves us at 28%, so about 100,000 churches, approximately. Uh, I was speaking up in Santa Barbara one time, and I was asked the question, of those 100,000, how many of those are, are distinctly have distinctly biblical worldview? And I've floundered the answer for a moment. I was trying to come up with some numbers, and I said, wait a minute, why am I answering this question? George Barnes right here. He had just spoken before me. Why am I ask, answering that? George, what's the answer? And I'm going to put his answer very short compared to what he said, but at best, 15,000. At best, wow. 15,000. Now, we, where we saw the real test of that is during COVID. Pastors that were willing to roll, roll over and play dead and not challenge the government when they told them don't meet for months on end, years, and don't dare sing, don't do anything. And so consequently, we had a test. My hope is that during those years and these two years, these radical change, the two years of 20 and 21 and now 23, I'm in hopes, or rather 20, 20, 21 and now 22, rather, I'm in hopes that what we are seeing is pastors realize how crisis it is, how important it is to stand up at this point. When you're talking like 15,000 churches out of 364,000 houses of worship, that's a very small percentage with a biblical worldview. It can't be a large number in terms of the population relative to the overall American population. This is a very small percentage. And yet we know from de Tocqueville that when America ceases to be good, she shall cease to be great. And the greatness of America is found in the churches. You're telling me that part of the problem we're facing today is that we've lost that biblical worldview because the churches are not there. In the average pew across America, eight out of 100 
Christians in the pew last uh, yesterday, last Sunday, uh, actually have a biblical worldview. If you drop that down to millennials, that number drops to four out of 100. So that gives us a clue of the challenge, the inability. I call it biblical applicationalism, the incapacity to apply scripture to every aspect of life. But you wrote that, a book, don't you? Well-versed. It's like a perfect manual. Tell us about the book Well-Versed and why you wrote it. Uh, why I wrote it, interesting, that takes us back. Sorry to keep quoting Barna, but I was with George uh, on occasion before he released some, some jolting information. And, and that information, I could tell by his, his, his face his, that something was disturbing about what he's about to say. It wasn't something happy in his discovery. He says, I discovered that uh, 9 out of 10, 90% of pastors agree that the Bible speaks to the uh, political, social, and cultural issues of the day. But when asked in the same survey, will you speak out on what the Bible says about those issues? 90% said no, they would not. And then he discovered that lay people do not speak out. Now, I thought what he would find out, they don't speak out because they're afraid of being called homophobic, Islamophobic, transphobic, some phobic, out of fear of their, their silent. And that wasn't the case at all. They said, we do not speak out on the issues because we do not know what to say. Now, that was really quite an alarming moment. So how many and, topics did you cover? Because I know, I, I remember talking with you as you were writing it, and then I saw it. Yeah. You hit, it's a big, thick book, and you hit all of these topics. How many topics did you address in that one book? There are 30, 30 topics total where we responded to equip people to speak. It's not just the classic two, abortion and marriage. Although uh, what we lay out on marriage, I believe, is is quite more significant than you're going to find in hardly any writing. We unpack the Hebrew understanding in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 of marriage. But we we hit such things as uh, as our welfare, health care, minimum wage, social security, uh, theology of war, parental authority, philosophy of education, all the things that are discussed today, everything is discussed in the political realm. We, we hit the, and lay the biblical underpinnings. And it's in the book called Well-Versed, if they want to get a copy, then go to wellversedworld.org. And by the way, if they'll buy it by the case, I sell it for my cost with zero profit. If they'll buy it by the case, I think that's 24. And get that out to as many people. But my goal is not to make money on it. My goal is to try to save America. Yeah, well, we're in trouble. I mean, we cover that every week in the Economic War Room. Uh, we're in economic trouble. We're in political trouble. Uh, we're in moral uh, and philosophical trouble. We just don't even know how to think. And we're being told you have to think this way. You have to do this thing. It's mandatory speech, forbidden speech, and mandatory action and forbidden action. Uh, literally, this country founded by people with a Christian worldview, biblical worldview, are being told you can no longer live that way. Uh, in fact, that's a hate crime. And they're attacking people right now in the state of California where you've lived and even in Texas where I live. They're attacking us for our faith, for our belief, and so forth. And this is a threat to the future of, of Christians, but it's a threat to the whole world. For two years, I did the radio, little one-minute radio commentary. I have an ongoing radio commentary. But for two years, I did it just for Alliance Defending Freedom and all the, the, the backdrop to the legal cases they were handling. Overwhelmingly, one issue, the homosexual question, was robbing people of their religious liberty or religious capacity to express or to gather, whatever, some fundamental freedom, First Amendment rights. And that's because you cannot have so-called radical homosexual agenda, which is we have today, and religious liberty in the same country 
at the same time. We're gonna have to take a break. When we come back, we're gonna talk about that, how we can give people back their right to free speech and what we ought to be doing about this right now. Jim, we've been talking about the threat to our culture, uh, how uh, the biblical worldview is gone uh, in most churches. It's gone for most individuals, and yet the Bible has answers to every question that we could ask. Now, you're doing something exciting in getting that out with your well-versed ministry, uh, but I want to talk about two specific things. One is the free speech right, because we're being told to sit down and shut up we don't think this way, don't speak this way. And then we're also being compelled to act a certain way according to the state. Let's start with the first one, uh, the right to free thought and free speech. We have seen the most rapid rise in totalitarian authoritarianism these last two years than we have ever witnessed in our lifetime or in, in, in American history. This is a global phenomenon. It's occurring here, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Canada. Trudeau turned Canada into Cuba in one day when he froze the bank accounts. Then he put a, a but he's arrested a bunch of pastors, uh, about five or six over the year, I think. And 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 you see that now you're, you're thinking more of communist China, the way they're treated. Uh, you look across our world, and it is an alarming rise, and the crushing of speech has to happen. I used to wonder. When I go through Yad Vashem Museum, the Holocaust Museum in, in Jerusalem, I used to wonder, why didn't people rise up? How did this not happen? And I see now incrementally what they are doing. They're literally doing to our own country and silencing us. And we've learned to grow accustomed. I'm right now in a YouTube prison. I'm not on, I'm not, I can't be on YouTube right now till June something, whatever it is. And, and all of us, everybody I know has been in, in, in Facebook prison. And, and then imagine Twitter cutting off the president of the United States, for goodness sakes, permanently. This is how far gone we are from what we have been constitutionally. Or, and what or the, the New York Post. They cut the New York Post off because they reported on what we now know as a factual story about Hunter Biden. They just shut them down, said you're not allowed to tweet on this subject. And, and it could be disinformation, malinformation, or misinformation. And malinformation means anything that goes against the government's narrative. So you're right. It's complete totalitarianism. Every single person I know who's come to this country from a communist country, when I'm with them, they are terrified at what they're seeing in this country. They've seen it all before. They recognize it exactly. I, I, do, my, I do what I call taxi cab interviews. In that every time I get in a taxi cab, the taxi driver is never from America. They're from some other country. And I was like, really, why'd you come here? Where, where are you from? Why'd you come here? Some can articulate fairly well. Some kind of flounder to articulate. But it boils down to what brought them from their country to this country is the freedoms we enjoy. And even such things, political freedom, economic freedom, and religious freedom rise and fall together. Right. If you find two, you'll find the third. If you find one falling, you'll find the other two are going to go behind it. They rise and fall together. What you're speaking of, the freedom of speech is a political freedom, but it also ties directly to a religious freedom. It also has views in the whole economic liberation that we all enjoy and the freedom, liberty we enjoy here in this country. There are certain biblical principles that have made this country what it is. I just jotted down that from one of my buddies who wrote this book recently, rule of law, private property, ingenuity and entrepreneurship, uh, uh, the, the productive work and well-adjusted global markets, well-functioning global markets, 
those five ingredients that are biblical principles are the economic foundation of our nation. And those and others like it are being crushed out. Speech, the capacity to do what you want to do. You're fired from your job. Your occupation is taken from you. This is an alarming moment. And we really only have a window of time to rise up and put a stop to this because the government so far, to some measure, still is still we the people in this country. But we're coming to the point where we have almost no influence in that process. We will pay a dear price, as will our children and grandchildren. Well, there's no question that the speech is being suppressed. But that's, it's not just enough to be silent. You also have to act the way the state tells you to act. And that means you shut down your churches, that's one example, or you go get a vaccine because it's been mandated. You have to do this. If they can force a vaccine into a person's arm in order to keep your job or anything else, that is the most severe form of economic warfare and tyranny, isn't it? It is. I interviewed last night a man who rose up in the ranks of globalism. He wasn't one of them, but they didn't know he wasn't. He rose up in the ranks as a young man for many, many years going to the top globalism meetings. And the, one of the ones that shocked him the most early on was one in Washington, D.C., with the leaders in Washington, D.C. This is a number of years ago now. And he gave the name of the speaker. The name of that speaker said, we will only achieve what we must achieve as a global government if Judeo-Christian values can be put aside and wiped out. And that is this is a, part of a larger plan. This is well thought out. This is not sloppy and haphazard. This is with high intentionality. They know precisely what they're doing. They have to suppress Judeo-Christian thinking and all the ramifications of Judeo-Christian thought. Well, there's no question. I mean, Vladimir Lenin knew that. It, it's been a part of the communist mantra forever that you have to suppress because if you have anything higher than the state, the state isn't the ultimate authority. And obviously, to a Christian, God is higher than the state. And, and really, frankly, people of, of many religions and backgrounds, God is higher than the state. So they've got to suppress any belief in anything greater than government. Uh, precisely because government is God. It has the final word. It's not by accident that these kind of movements are inherently atheistic at the core. No, absolutely. So the, the bad news is that we're facing this uh, terrible threat. The good news is that you're working on things that will create alternatives like uh, parallel systems. Can you just quickly describe the, the idea of soaring like an albatross? We've got about a minute. Okay, an albatross, everybody thinks about an albatross around your neck. That's what they think of. They think of that because of the 1798 poem by uh, Samuel Taylor Coleridge that said uh, the, the mariners, it's the rhyme of the ancient mariner, that uh, if you shoot uh, uh, an albatross, albatross were important to sailors because it directed them uh, where they were to go. So if you shoot one, that's a violation. So they hang it around their neck as a punishment. But that's all people know. Uh, an albatross is a bird in Australia. In fact, they, they live the longest. The oldest bird today in the world is a 70-year-old albatross. Uh, they can procreate up to 40 times. Uh, they mate for life. But here's what's intriguing. They can fly above a tsunami and stay airborne and fly five to six years without landing. And my contention is we're in a position right now, Kevin, where we as followers of Jesus Christ and other people of values, of clear values and freedom loving people in general have to find a way to create an alternative universe uh, in a sense to survive and even to thrive to make it through the environment we are in right now. We have to soar 
like an albatross. Well, we're gonna need to take another break. When we come back, I wanna talk about the conference that you're setting up that can help people learn to soar like an albatross. Dr. Jim Garlow, tell us about the Future Conference. Future Conference will be in Washington, D.C., actually across the river from, from D.C., uh, in Arlington, Virginia. It'll be July 20, 21, and 22. It's three different conferences, each one day, back-to-back, -back, basically. Day number one of the Future Conference is what to say and how to say it, how to respond to every political or governmental issue. I wrote a book a number of years ago called Well-Versed that we referred to a moment ago. Well-Versed lays out the biblical underpinnings of 30 political topics. So that's day one. We have a bunch of speakers. Let me just give an example of some of them. Kevin McGarry, uh, incredible African-American leader from San Francisco Bay Area. He'll speak on CRT, critical race theory, and why that's a violation of scripture. Jennifer Roback Morris, she will speak on transgenderism, homosexuality. Walt, Walt Heyer, who was transgender and then detransitioned after he found Jesus. He will speak on his personal experiences. Michelle Bachman, Congresswoman Michelle Bachman, will speak on globalism and to totalitarian authoritarianism. Uh, attorney Matt Staver will speak on the radical LBGTQ and uh, religious freedom. Uh, there'll be a number of congressmen there. Tom, uh, Congressman Thomas, Thomas Tippy is going to speak on radical environmentalism. That's day one. We're going to cover a whole bunch of topics. Well, I, let's stop there for a second on day one. What you're essentially saying is all these things that we're being, for, they're crammed down on us by the media, by social media. You know, you have to think this way about this subject, whether it's homosexuality or, or uh, transsexuality or any of that. We're being told, you think this way or you're a hater. You're going to give a biblical alternative from the Bible. This is what the Bible says about these things and how you can think according to God's word. Yes, and to help them, that's exactly right. How to think distinctly biblically, scripturally, biblical applicationalism uh, to any, any political or governmental issue. But even more than that, we are trying to whittle it down to bullet, point, bullet points to make it memorizable. In other words, as a person is speaking, there's going to be a stenographer who's typing, a scribe stenographer who's going to be typing. And on the, on the screens will be, behind will be the bullet points. There's another guy who's going to be typing on his computer at the same time, and he's putting in the, uh, appropriate scriptures. Uh, he can do that on the fly. He's very good. He's part of our team. And so, and so they will go away, and then that will be immediately sent to their computer or to their iPhone, so they'll have a literally uh, electronic, uh, digitalized uh, flashcard, so to speak, on all these topics we're talking about. So you're, you're not just telling people, oh, here's what you ought to think about. You're equipping the saints so they can go out and share the gospel. We want them, when they walk out of there, to know exactly how to do that. In fact, when you said share the gospel, uh, if we start with the, the first speaker, it's going to be Barry McGuire, the well-known car wax guy, the car guy, his own TV show. He's a friend. He's a good man. Talk how to share your faith in a hostile culture. What do you do in a culture like today? So we're going to cover a host of topics, and you will walk away with literally the equivalent of flashcards, bullet points on what you need to know about any governmental topic to be able to respond to the conversation. We hope in a compelling, winsome, loving way, uh, at the same time with true, honest facts to help set people's minds straight on what, what, the God, what God says about each one of these issues. That's day one. Day one. Day two. Day two uh, is a much, more, a much different day. 
Day two is what do we do? We talked a moment ago about the albatross. How do we soar above the storm? How do we stay airborne as Christians? How do we, how do we create an alternative or parallel universe given the dynamics of how Christians are being canceled and completely marginalized and coerced in their thought and their actions right now? So in that one, one of our lead speakers, by the way, is a guy named Kevin Freeman. I hope you've heard of him. And he's going to be laying this for us a very important thing. When Trudeau went and canceled the bank, so to speak, or froze everybody's uh, bank accounts in Canada, what can we do to avoid getting in that kind of a situation? And Kevin's going to lay that out for us because if we cannot have, we don't have access to our funds, there's not a lot of things we can do. So a, a critical part of that will be laying out the economic. Nick Bujek, as many of you know, the man who travels the country, man without limbs, without arms and legs, uh, he had his bank account frozen, his credit cards, debit cards. He just woke up one morning and it was all gone. He's going to talk about that and the steps that he's taking. Uh, where, If you had to flee, where would you go? Now, that's a strange question, but there's people who've been preparing in, in an age of anti-Semitism. How do we protect the Jewish people? Where can they flee? Well, now it's an age of also anti-Christianism. And people will talk about places of refuge. What would you do? How would you, where would you go for that kind of thing? We're going to talk about religious liberty from the standpoint of churches that have had to go all the way to the Supreme Court. Cheon, pastor from uh, Pasadena, will be there. Henry Hildebrandt from Canada, who was the embedded pastor with the, uh, with the Canadian truckers. And he and a number of his colleagues, several, have been jailed. He'll talk about the jailed Canadian pastors and what they've learned, how to stay ahead of that. In addition to that, if, if we find ourselves in a posture where we are forced out of our homes, I, I hope, frank, frankly, Kevin, that nobody needs one bit of the information that we're sharing in this day two. I hope they don't need any, any of it. Just like when I buy health insurance, I don't want to use it. When I buy car insurance, I don't want to use it. When I buy health insurance, right. I want any kind right. of insurance. I don't want to use any of it. Fire insurance but, on my house. But Proverbs 27 says that... that uh, a person sees danger, a wise person prepares for it, but the fool goes blindly on without preparation and suffers the consequences. I'd rather prepare for something that never happened than not be prepared when something does happen. Right. And, and, and so that being the case, not only is Debbie Kellogg, who's a specialist on places of refuge, going to talk, but then uh, Angel Poorman is going to talk from Texas on how to create a place of refuge. They are doing exactly that. We have Dave Elliott and Eric Johnson. These are not names you know, but these are brilliant businessmen who've developed what's called micro houses or tiny houses and how that could play into this. Fantastic. All right. We're going to have to jump on to day three because we've got a, a short time left. Well, I've got to hit a couple more things day two because day three I could say in just a sentence. Okay. If that's the effect. Is that okay? Go ahead. We're, we're, going to, we're going to touch on what about health care. Uh, uh, Matt Bellis will talk about that. Carla Dean Graves will talk about how they have health care, medical provision when doctors who are being canceled themselves, uh, basic survival techniques, what do we do in that case? How do we have communications? If the government wants to cancel us or AT&T wants to cancel you from your phone because you don't agree with certain issues, how do you have uh, communications with each other? So we're gonna cover a whole lot. Of it. Now day three, it's easy to say. It's either a trip to Museum of the Bible or it's a trip to uh, Thomas Jefferson's Monticello and George Washington's Mount Vernon. Why are we going there? because they've been largely canceled by the culture, even to the point that even when you go travel those places, I was just at Monticello two weeks ago, and the opening line was, this is a place of bondage, this is a place of slavery. We heard a lot about slavery. We're gonna have two experts on Thomas Jefferson and George Washington lecture before we get on the buses and make those trips. 
then when we'll go to those locations, it'll be uncanceling Thomas Jefferson, uncanceling George Washington, and give you an honest understanding about these founding fathers. Jim, that sounds like an amazing conference. I'm so honored to be part of it. Tell us the dates again and how people can find out. The way you can register is by going to Wellversed World, as versed with a D on it, wellversedworld.org. Wellversedworld.org. Scroll down on the homepage. There you'll see the future conference and you can sign up right there. It's the Marriott Gateway Hotel in Crystal City or Arlington, Virginia. The dates. It's a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It's July 20, 21, 22. July 20, 21, 22. The Marriott Gateway Hotel, wellversedworld.org, and slide down to Future Conference. Click on that. You can sign up and you get your hotels right there. And you can sign up for the trips to the presidential mansions as well. Fantastic, Jim. Thank you so much. And remember, what we see as a marketplace, our enemies view as a battle space. You can get all of this in our free economic battle plan at economicwarroom.com. This is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room.